My name is Tim, and I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, the series is over. We finished up with feminism and toxic masculinity this past weekend. Today is another edition of Question and Answers because there are so many questions that we could answer about these topics. There's no conversation. This conversation is driven by you, the listener, the watcher, the Facebook person who is on live, or the person who got the text alert from Waters Church uh, text message alert system uh, to text your questions in. Uh, that means that you could not even be watching. Still text your questions in, and I'll get to your question, hopefully, before our time is up. So the number is there on the bottom of the screen, 508-316-9333, 508-316-9333. And you can text any number. It's anonymous. I, I don't know who you are. I can't know who you are. And that's part of the safety here so that you don't have to feel embarrassed to ask whatever question you might want to ask. And the reason why I love this question and answer segment of the podcast, the episodes, question and answer, is because it gives me an opportunity to clarify some things from the weekend that maybe you said, wow, did he really say that? And what we were just talking about in the studio here uh, before we got on live here on Facebook was that sometimes I'll say things and I, I'm broad brushing on the weekend. You got you to gotta learn that too about preaching and it's just a fact about preaching. All preachers do this. We broad brush, which means we, we speak in generalities, but we're revealing scripture in those generalities. And so when it comes to the, the very... Uh, contentious discussion about what's a man's role, what's a woman's role. I am expecting questions, and I want your questions, and no question is off limit. A couple months ago, I did a, uh, a part in um, the First Corinthians study, but we ran out of time to get to questions about women in the church and men in the church, uh, leadership and men and women in the church. And so I'm welcoming those questions. Again, uh, we just ran out of time that day, but today we got all the time in the world. I think it's going to go pretty fast. We'll see. We're three minutes in already, but I'm excited to do this. So Josh Prayer, he will be monitoring the question sources. Yes, uh, he's got his laptop open. I've got my laptop open. I hope you're ready. Uh, let's get into it. Josh Prayer, what do we got for question number one? Whew, fresh out the gate. We got one right like literally three seconds ago. How do I handle being in a sexless marriage to a non-believer? How do I? Well, okay. So... Is this, does she, he or she, she, what is it? No idea. No idea. Okay. Good question. Because, um, the, uh, I'm, I'm trusting that you got into a non-believer believer, uh, marriage, um, when you were both non-believers, uh, or maybe you were both believers and the other person, uh, denied the faith, you know, was a false believer and denied the faith later on in life. Um, you're in a very difficult situation. There's no easy answer when you have believers and non-believers. My suggestion to you is that you have to do a couple of things. First, and I'm imagining that you've already done this, and if you haven't, you got to do it. You got to talk to them about the fact that it's sexless, sexless, and it's um, bothering you tremendously. And you have to open your heart up here. You have to put yourself out there and be vulnerable. And this yeah. is this is a he. It's they, a he. They just specified it. Okay. Well, thank you for the specification. See, this is how we interact on the podcast. Right mm. on. Right on cue. Fantastic. So. Let me get back to what I was saying. You got to, so if it's a he, you have to talk to her. And this is famous for marriage problems. Uh, this is not um, uncommon. It does tend to be the female does start to withdraw from sex, but there are many reasons about that. Now, I'm not a licensed psychologist, but I am going to, I am a married man <laughs> and I have talked to many married people 
and I, I think I know a couple of things about this. And, and so let me let me speak as fairly as I can as a man. Number one, you have to understand that women by nature, and we talk, talked about this on the weekend, do, a, do the lion's share of the housework. They just do. They give themselves to it. When a man doesn't even step up to it, and he should step up to it and help out around the house and, and clean up and, and um, assist her, that, that woman is going to bear the brunt of the responsibility. If you have children, especially, this gets tremendously difficult for your bride. You, as a man, uh, have a golden opportunity here to lay down your life for her and to give her tremendous amounts of assistance around the house and maybe even do things that take the, the, the load off of her permanently. So tell her, what around this house can I do that you no longer want to do? Maybe make a deal with her, strike a deal with her there. What, what jobs do you absolutely hate? I will do those. We are partners, and I don't want to relegate you to barefoot and pregnant for the rest of your life in the kitchen. Um, the, the, the idea that that's Christian marriage is a, um, fallacy. It is a caricature of the, uh, secularists in our culture who do not like Christianity. Uh, I understand why they paint us with that brush, but it's not biblical. Uh, we are equal partners in God's gift of life, equal partners. I believe in the home, in the raising of children. So you got to ask and you got to sit down and say, look, what can I do to get sex around here? I mean, let's just be honest. Like, <laughs> what can I do? I, I need it, and I'm a, I'm a man, and I need it. And so sometimes a woman disconnects from sex because of all the enormous amount uh, amount of responsibilities that she has in the house. I know my wife would say this uh, to any woman, and I'm saying it to you as a man who's been married to a woman now for 17 years. So you've got to help out. All right, so you, you have the conversation with her, and it's not that, and she just isn't interested in sex. You got to ask some difficult questions. Here's a, do we have a follow-up? Uh, just just some additional ones tagged on to oh, it. Oh, okay. Well, let me just get to, get to the point. You got to ask some different questions about yourself. Have you shown this woman love? Like, have you gone out of your way to show her affection? Have you romanced her? Sometimes guys. Now, let me let me talk about because I I have to talk to the guys because I think that guys get no sex and sometimes they blame only the woman and many times it's the man's fault. And when I preach from the and here's an example, Josh, of a broad brush. Um, moment of of my preaching that I constantly share whenever I get to the topic of marriage. When I'm talking about marriage, I'm always selling, saying to people, the problem with your marriage is you. Okay, that's a broad brush. Mm. That's a broad brush statement, but it's it is a true statement. And it and it bears um to be repeated in this moment because everything that I'm saying to you young man or you might be an older man, I don't know, who is in a sexless marriage with an unbelieving wife, You've got to look at yourself first. Before you start blaming her, you've got to look at yourself first. So help around the house. We've already had that talk. But secondly, maybe what are you doing? Like have, maybe you haven't romanced her. Maybe you haven't taken her out to dinner. A lot of times guys hang up the jersey when they get married. You know what I mean by that? <laughs> like when, when a guy is trying to romance a woman when they're dating, he goes out of his way to show her love, affection, to praise her, to make her his queen, to just make her feel like the princess that he wants in his life. You get married, and suddenly it's like, I'm retired. I did that. I got my wife. Now she's just expected to be my 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 uh, sexual concubine for all, all eternity. And that's not a wife, okay? A wife has needs. A wife has desires. And I believe, and I think that if you romance her in some respects, you will stir up that flame of love again, even mm -hmm. if she's an unbeliever. Because this is not a Christian deal. This is a human deal. God has programmed the sex... Uh, the sexes to interact sexually. This is programmed in God. So this is a good thing. Even for unbelievers, it's a good thing. Uh, and so romancer. The third thing that I would say is if, if all that fails, you've had the conversation with her, you've asked to take 
to, uh, response to blues off of her plate. You've tried to romance her. You've done these conversations and, and all this stuff. That doesn't work. You need to ex- uh, you need to seek professional help, and you need to go to a uh, secular, prefer- preferably probably for you and the unbeliever, a secular counselor who will talk through maybe some deeper issues. You don't know maybe if she was abused, sexually abused, rape, raped, raped. The, these these are serious issues for some women, and they have serious struggles with them. And uh, a woman who has been raped or a woman who has had sexual uh, a, a troubled sexual past one way or another will oftentimes withdraw from sex in the marriage because it brings up those bad memories. It brings up that bad experience in the past. So that there you go. You need maybe a secular. I would also recommend a Christian therapist. I think a non-believer can absolutely benefit from a Christian therapist. But being married to a non-believer, this is like a conciliatory move on your behalf, I think, to go to that secular. It could be a Christian, but they provide secular counseling. So they're not going to sit there and open the Bible and say, here's what the scriptures say. Uh, and that's a conciliatory move for you on behalf of your wife to say, I'm not trying to force my religion on you, but I do want us to have a good marriage regardless of our differing religious beliefs. I think she'd be much more willing to go to one who is secular as well. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to get you to go to a Christian therapist and a uh, Christian counselor. And we have that available. If you call the church, we can recommend Christian counselors in the area, but that's a difficult one. Take those uh, cues. Uh, I'm going as far as I know concerning your situation, but I think at the end of the day, um, when I say things like the problem with your marriage is you, it is so that we learn as individuals to take responsibility for the things that we do, which 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 carry with them ramifications that we oftentimes are not aware of. Mm. This is the beauty of marriage because marriage, if you communicate, if you talk about things, you're not always going to solve it, but at least you're going to know what's going on. And knowing what's going on, remember that old commercial from uh, the uh, G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle. Remember that G.I. Joe cartoon? You don't remember because you're, like, you're a no. millennial. <laughs> okay, so Gen-, Gen Xers remember this. Knowing is half the battle. Now, now I know. Okay, and knowing is half the battle. And so knowing what might be troubling your spouse is half the battle to becoming a better spouse for them. I believe that you can stir up those romantic feelings. I believe you can stir up that sexual feeling again in your wife if you proactively find out what's going on with her and gently do this. And then without telling her maybe that you're going to do these things, just do them and love her as Christ loved the church. Because regardless of whether or not she's a believer, that's still your marital responsibility as a believer. Yeah. Cool. Good question. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, Is it bad for a Christian woman to be a feminist? Well, define feminist, because a feminist, this is a very broad brush defini- uh, <laughs> term today. Uh, in one of the services, and this is another problem with people misunderstanding what I say on the weekend, especially around hot topics, is I'll say something in one service, and I'll think I said it in the second service or the third service, and I don't mention it. But I'm still like, because you guys got to remember, I'm preaching three times. Now, for anybody who has ever preached, you have to understand, this is a tremendously taxing emotional experience. And so sometimes I'm thinking I said it and I didn't say it in all three services. This is the conundrum of having multiple services. But we do multiple services because because not everybody can come to the same time service and we want to make room for as many people as possible to come to church. But one of the services I said that feminism, there's been several waves, and even the feminists say this. There's first wave feminism, which got women to go out and get jobs. The second wave feminism is to get this idea that women can have contraception, abortion is a product of the second wave feminist movement. Um, uh, now third wave, you know, there it, we might even be up to like fourth wave. I'm not sure. You know, equal pay arguments. Um, Again, with the uh, Supreme Court uh, nomination struggle right now in our political uh, culture, there is the fear of the secular feminists that abortion rights will be taken away from 
uh, women. And so that has become a mantra of the feminist movement. So here's my, here's my analysis on that. Your feminism can go, you can take your feminism as far as the biblical text will allow you. You can take your feminism as far as the biblical text will allow you. Can you be a feminist and pro-abortion? No, I don't think so. Not as a Christian. Not as a Christian. The Bible does not say thou shalt not commit abortion, but it does make very clear that conception and the process of the growth in the womb and that God knits us together in our mother's womb, uh, that God saw Jeremiah before he was born, uh, that, that all our days are written in his book before one of them came to be. These are texts that inform the Christian on when does life begin. Uh, and by the way, the, all the science backs it up. All the science backs it up. You have your gender on day one of conception. Your heart is beating, I think, shortly after that, uh, not many days after that. Uh, there are so many scientific facts. And on top of all the scientific facts regarding conception and gestation, there is the tech, scientific technology that allows us to see into the womb and show us that that is not a glomit of uh, flesh. It is There's a head, there's hands, there's feet, there's uh, organs. Uh, and so abortion is murder. That's why I've said this on the podcast before. I believe it is wrong. I don't think any Christian, I really don't think so. Not a Bible-believing Christian can have a pro-choice um, mantra. Uh, now, so you can take your feminism as far as the biblical text allows you to take it. So does your feminism allow you to say men and women are equal? Yes, the biblical text says that. Male and female created he them in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Um, does your feminism allow you to take this opportunity to say, well, now my husband uh, is no longer in charge of the house I am? No, I don't think that the biblical text allows you to do that. I believe that from the beginning of the scriptures to the end of the scriptures, there's just no allowance for uh, female domination of a man in authority within the home. Now, women, you don't, you don't have to like that. There are a lot of things in the scriptures that I don't like that God says no to. We still have a responsibility, however, to submit to the sovereignty of our God. And I said this again in one of the services. I wish I said it in all services, but I'll say it again. Your gender, and by, by that I mean your biological sex, and your sex and your gender are the same. Okay. Uh, your biological sex, what you were born, and by the way conceived as, is ground zero for your ability to agree with the sovereignty of God. It is, the, it is ground zero. It starts there. You look at your body and you you either say, God did this or God really screwed up and I need to correct what God did. Really, yeah. That's what you do. Now, <clears throat> are there some people who have genuine mental issues regarding their gender and or their biological sex? Of course, because the mind is a part of the human body. And just like your, uh, your sinuses can get sick and your stomach and your organs can get sick, this thing can get sick. And it is sick. It is already sickened by human nature, sinful nature. And so it can be corrupted in so many respects, in so many forms, uh, we don't even understand the depths of sickness that our mind can, um, can, uh, can experience. So there are definitely these issues. And, and as Christians, we have to have a compassionate attitude about it, while at the same time speaking truth from a biblical, uh, from a biblical basis. Uh, and I'm just trying to be as gentle as I can here because, you know, there's the Christian side of me that wants to rail against this stuff and say it's nonsense. But then there's the human side of me that says, but there are genuine struggles in the world around these things. And we need to be compassionate 
but still hold the line in truth? Yeah, and a great question, I think, that will uh, really go hand-in-hand with what you're talking about. Somebody says, when raising boys and girls, should you be raising them with different skills, or should they both be independent individuals that can also keep a home? What if you have girls and they are just as adventurous as boys? Do you hinder those instincts or promote them? No, I don't. I think that you have to uh, do what Scripture teaches you to do as parents, and that is provide rules for your children that are for their benefit and for their safety. Uh, you need to instruct them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And by the way, the, the uh, Ephesians chapter 5, passage, 6 passage says, Fathers, instruct your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, you do not have to be the best Bible expositors, but you do need to know enough of the Bible to teach your, your kids about Jesus and to teach them what you believe as a Christian. I think that this is a tremendous lack in the American household. And I see this on the weekend because I see, and I said this as a kind of a sarcastic comment on the weekend, but I want to say it again. When I say open your Bibles and read with me, I see a lot of blank stares back at me. Nobody with a Bible open, nobody holding a Bible, nobody even looking at the Bible. You're just, and, and one of these days, I'm going to quote from the Quran. I ser- I, I'm seriously <laughs> going to read from the Quran without telling you is the Quran and see if anybody notices a difference. You should read from like a McDonald's menu. Or <laughs> something like that, right? <laughs> You've got to get into the Bible, Christian. You've got, you don't understand that there are Christians around the world who are desperate to get their hands on what you take for granted. Open it up. Bring it to church. Open it up. Underline it. Mark it up. Circle words. Read it. Know it so that you can teach it. Mm. This excuse that, well, I don't know enough of the Bible, so I can't teach children, that is a lame excuse for you to uh, hold on to biblical ignorance to which God has not asked you. To hold on to. You've got to let that go. You've got to dive in head first. And if you don't understand something, you can tell your children, I'm not sure about that. But you know what? We'll find that out. I'll ask a question on the Deep End podcast. Hallelujah. <laughs> we'll find that out for you. But this helps you grow in the Lord. We have got to elevate, I think, an expectancy in the Christian church of biblical literacy, opening the Bible yourself, reading it yourself, spending time with God's Word. Listen, I've read through the Bible over a hundred times. It's got to be over a hundred times. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not saying that to praise myself. I am saying that to say that no matter how much of the Bible I think I know, I'm still learning about the the Bible. In my own daily prayer time, I'm going through the book of Judges right now. So this is part and parcel of being a Christian, to, to know the Word and to let the Word shape you rather than the culture shape you, because the cultural influence is strong. The cultural issue influence is relentless, and we've got to be truth hearers, truth perceivers, truth knowers, so that we will be able to sniff out that lie and call it a lie and teach our children it's a lie. Okay, how did I get on that? Oh, fathers, instructing your children. So this is what you do with your kids. You instruct them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. If a woman is adventurous, let her be adventurous. Mm. Absolutely. If I'm, if a, I, again, I was speaking in generalities on the weekend, and I think that the scientific evidence backs me up in those generalities. That being said, there are some very adventurous women. There are some great downhill skiing women. I mean, they are amazing. They ski downhill in the Olympics faster than I drive my car. I think about how crazy they must be. I could never do that. Would I want that to ever stop? Absolutely not. Do I think God would? No way. The cultural mandate that is given to male and female in Genesis chapter 1 refers to the sexes together um, ruling and subduing and having dominion over the entire earth. Okay, that's for both male and female. Some women are very driven, given to that. That's, that's glorious. 
When you introduce, however, children into the home, a woman's role changes. I'm just, I'm just telling you straight. A woman's role changes. It is biological. It is hormonal. All of these shifts happen through the gestation period. The child is born, and a a a normal woman, a woman that is with a with a with a good degree of health, will shift gears mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all those things, relationally with her husband, toward the children, nurturing, caring, and bringing them up as children. Right. Yeah. Uh, a question was posted in the public forum, so I'll, I'll just uh, go for read it. it. So Deborah Johnson asks, hello, Josh and Pastor Tim. I know you've discussed this before, but the reception was so bad last time that I did not hear most of it. I understand that you don't feel women should be leaders, but you let them baptize others. My Bible tells me this is a role that should be done by the leaders. Is this where you draw the line? No, your Bible does not tell you that, Deb Johnson. You've got to show me a scripture where it says the leaders are to baptize. Um there is no scriptural uh, predicate for any particular kind of person baptizing. And you also have a problem if you say, well, it has to be a priest or it has to be a pastor. You have a problem with, well, what if that priest or that pastor, and this happens a lot, is actually a non-believer. It happens a lot. Now, I'm not saying it happens in our church. <laughs> okay, I don't think it does. And, and, but at the same time, I can't tell you that it doesn't because there are a lot of people who fake Christianity for many, many years, and then they baptize people for many, many years. There's a lot of priests out there, a lot of pastors, and they go through the motions for decades, baptizing, marrying, um, dedicating children, all the uh, Christian ordinances of the church. Uh, and so what do we do now with those baptisms? What do we do now with those baby dedications of the marriage? Are they now annulled? Are they now no longer official? Absolutely not. Uh, the church actually came up, and I think this was before the Protestant Reformation. The church did come up with a, um, a doctrinal statement on this. It's in the Catholic, uh, uh, what do you call them? I always forget the word. It begins with an M. Magisterium. There we go. It's in one of those magisteriums out there. <laughs> About the fact that the uh, activity of the priest is not predicated on the, uh, the um, faith level of the priest. So you have a priest that marries you or you have a pastor that marries you 30 years ago and now you find out, oh my gosh, this guy has denied the faith and become an apostate. I guess our marriage is annulled. No, 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 no. The activity of the church is not predicated on the belief of the person doing the activity. Now, specifically at Waters Church, we limit that uh, we do. ability to, this to is, baptize the small yeah. group leaders only. Yeah, we. you got to make a call about a lot of things concerning who should do what in a local assembly. Scripture has a lot of allowances for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Scripture speaks to actually very little in regards to uh, leadership of certain ministries. Now, we have leader, women leaders of ministries throughout this church. We have women leaders who, we have a woman who leads our cafe, and Lisa Matos. She does a fantastic job. Oh, yeah. I mean, she has brought that cafe to a whole nother level. We have a woman leading our small group leaders. Uh, this is Marianne Shane's wife. She is our small group director. Uh, we, we have um, women small group directors, small group leaders, uh, women coaches of small group leaders. But the final authority of a local church, I believe Paul, the writings of Paul, limit that to males. So that's why we have a elder board. They're all males. We ha I'm a male. <laughs> I'm your pastor. Uh, the pastors on staff here are males. And these are the pastoral leaders, the elders, the presbyteros, if you would, uh, the presbyters, whatever you want to call it, bishops, overseers, whatever you want to call it. There's all kinds of words in the New Testament for them. And every single one of the terms is masculine in gender in the Greek. Every single term is masculine in gender in the Greek. Every single time Paul talks about uh, overseers or pastors in the texts, 
He talks about husband of one wife. He says that for two reasons. Number one, this guy can't have multiple wives. And number two, he has to be a man. Okay, so it's not, uh, it's not just saying have one wife. It's saying it's got to be a man. Now, here's how you have to interpret the Bible. The Bible says, uh, the Bible says a lot of things clearly and some things vaguely. And when you interpret the Bible, you never take the vague and use it to subvert the clear. If the clear is there, there's no reason to use the vague to subvert the clear. This is a common practice for women ordination. We take vague references. Like when Paul says, this woman helped me in my ministry. This woman was a co-laborer with me. Yes, he's talking about that there's women. I could say the very same thing. Marianne Parsons is a co-laborer in the gospel with me here. Yeah. Uh, Bria McGee right here next to me. She yeah. is a co-laborer. Cheryl. My wife is a co-laborer in the gospel with me. And I don't meet with women privately. These women, any woman in this church that needs pastoral care goes to one of these great women in our church, one of these great elders, my wife, Shane's wife, and they get great pastoral care from the women, okay? So this is, I believe, in many respects, these are things that we have to make a judgment call on as local churches because there's no clarity about, particularly concerning baptism. When you think about baptism beyond uh, the day of Pentecost, you've got Philip baptizing. Philip was a deacon, and he's baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And so, again, there's just no place in the text. I can't find one where it says that leaders have to even be baptizing. But we have to make a judgment call for our church's health and life as to who we're going to allow be baptizers. And in this church, we have made a judgment call around the scriptures based on what we believe is a good faith policy for leadership in our church and structure in our church and order order in our church to say we're going to only allow our small group leaders to baptize. Yeah. All right, long, long answer to a short Yeah, question. I mean, and honestly, I think people really get obsessed with the whole title of leader. It's really more of a function over form kind of thing. You know, somebody else uh, yes. said, did I hear correctly? You guys believe women shouldn't be leaders in the church. No, no, we, we that, just I just that. answered that. And I think that <laughs> leaders make, I think that women make excellent leaders. I am talking about, please understand that I am talking about the official office of overseer, presbyteros in the Greek. In First Timothy, uh, in First uh, Timothy two, in Titus chapter two, uh, these passages are there in First Peter five, male, 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 official, elder, bishop, pres- uh, uh, overseer, pastor. These official positions in the church are reserved for males. Every single disciple of Jesus is a male. Every single apostle in the Gospels and in the Book of Acts is a male. The missionary journeys are per, are are taken up by Paul and Barnabas, males. When Paul puts together his ministry team, his apostle team, he picks all males: Trophimus, Timothy, Mark, John, Mark. These they're all males. I, I mean, again, <laughs> your gender is ground zero for the level to which you submit to God's sovereignty in your life. Okay, I didn't write it. I didn't put it together. I'm just trying to live it. When we come to the scriptures, we have a question. And, and this is what I love about the scriptures, Josh, right? Right on page one, we're asked a question. You read the Bible. You pick it up today. You start reading in Genesis chapter one, and a question will hit you like a ton of bricks right there on page one. Do you believe that God is in charge of it all or not? Because it starts with what? It starts with, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You either start with that and say, I agree, 
or you reject it and you're not going to get very far and be happy in the rest of the text. Plain and simple. Okay. Yep. He's in charge. We leave authority and sovereignty in his hands. And this is part of the faith process, friends. Christians today in America want Christianity on their terms. You can't have Christianity on your terms. And Christianity is not a life improvement program. It will improve your life. But it's only going to improve your life to the extent that you agree with God's sovereignty and authority over your life. And he has designated certain genders to do certain things and not do certain things. And the sovereignty question hits you, and you've got to resolve that in your heart at some point. Yeah. And uh, Danielle, yeah, we, we did discuss that uh, in, a, in a few podcasts ago. Somebody asked, what about women preaching and teaching? We've covered that already. We've covered so that, you yes. So you can go back in the archives and look Doctrinal at that. teaching. Like, I think <clears throat> that women absolutely can teach other women, and I think that's allowed in the Scriptures. Again, we've got to go with what the Scriptures teach. Uh, the Scriptures teach in uh, Titus chapter 2, older women, verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves or, uh, to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Okay, that's verse 3. And so, this is verse 4, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So the teaching of women is reserved for the teaching of younger women in the church. Okay, but when you talk about who's teaching in the church officially as a designated pastor teacher, this is a male. Yeah. What is your view on tithing for single mothers? Sometimes I'm barely able to make ends meet. Okay, my, my view on tithing for single mothers is my view on tithing for anybody. You've got to start it. You've got to start doing it, and you got to start doing it by faith. And I would ex- I would challenge you to take the tithing challenge. Uh, you can start it now. <laughs> I, I, this again, Scripture is the authority. So can you do what actually God asks His people to do, which is test Him in this and tithe? You sit down. You determine what is your income. You take a tenth of that as it comes in, and you bring it back to the house of God. And I'm telling you, if you do this, I know God will bless you. I absolutely know. Now, <laughs> this comes with some good questions. Do you have a job? Uh, if you don't have a job, you don't have, tithe, you don't have to tithe anything because you don't have any income, right? Right. Uh, so, obviously, you can't tithe if that's not the case. Um, when you're a single mom, I know these are difficult, uh, these dirt, these are difficult situations. It's going to take faith. It's going to take a decision, a determination on your part to say God is God and he will prove me right. We have um, single widows in this church that tithe and they are blessed and we see it. There's a woman in our church. I was just talking about this with Shane the other day. She is a widow and her children do not believe and her children give her a hard time about all the money that she gives to Waters Church because she tithes. It's not that much money, honestly. It's just she tithes what she gets in and she's lived very well, not very well, but she's lived well for um, her her life here at Waters Church. She's never complained. She's never grumbled. She's never, ever seen God let her down. A while back, she needed a vehicle. She didn't have enough money. Her kids came to her and said, see, this is what you get for giving all that money to the church. Now, we didn't know that they said that. We didn't know that they said that to her. We, knowing her because she's so involved in our church. Before the, before we found out about the, what the children said. Yes, I'm this. trying to make sure that's clear. Right yeah. Before the children, we never even heard that. We don't, we don't respond to that. So we found out that there was a need because she's in small group and she's in relationship with people in the church. We bought her a car. We got the guy in the church who knew how to get a good car at a good deal. He got her a great car, a reliable car. We got her a car, paid for the car, gave her the car. Wow. Then she came to us and she said, you know what my children were telling me? My children were telling me this is what I get for giving all that money to the church. No, this is what you get. 
This is what you get for honoring God. You get a church that's going to have your back. And so step out in faith, young single mom. Step out in faith. You have a tr- And by the way, be involved in small group. Be involved in the life of the church because if you just try to do this as a matter of a Christian, you're going to fail anyway. Yeah. This is why we're telling you constantly every weekend, uh, come to the weekend. Yes, fantastic. Glad you're here. But are you engaged in small group in the life of the church and community? Yeah, and uh, should tithing be based on gross or net? Well, what 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 amount do you want to be blessed? <laughs> <laughs> this is not like a this is not like a, a time card. That Again, you just these punch. questions um, betray a reality of a, of a heart that is looking for all the ways in which I can disobey God. <laughs> And still be a Christian. And we talked about this on the questions last time, Josh. Remember we talked about this, which was, um, what's the heart of your question? The heart of your question is, I really don't want to obey God here. Yeah. Okay. Give, me a, give me a loophole. So give me Pastor. a loophole so that I can do as little <laughs> as possible and God will still be okay with me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's, have a, let's have a conversation about salvation by grace and not works first, because you're not saved by what you do. You're not saved by what you do. So if you don't tithe, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't make you non-saved, okay? Right. Uh, you're not saved by tithing. You are saved by grace through faith. The faith that you have to believe in Christ is a gift from God in the first place. Listen to me. If God saved you, is he going to let you go belly up? Come on. Come on. What kind of a God do you serve? What kind of a God do you believe in? He's the God who came to you. He's the God who gave his son for you. That son is guaranteed. That son is historical guarantee he has got the back of his children and he will not let you down okay and if you're struggling and you're doing all the right things then you come and talk to us and we as your church family will help you just like the church family took care of the widows in Acts chapter 6 it's the responsibility of the believers to take care of the hurting and financially uh, uh, struggling uh, fellow believers however I'm going to say something. I'm going to share something with you about the process by which we financially help people in this church to prove a point. When people come to us and say, I've got financial struggles, we have them sit down with a wonderful woman in our church who is a certified public accountant, a tither, a godly woman, and one of the smartest financial minds you can find. And for free, she goes through the people's financial records. She goes through their budgets. She goes through their checking account ledgers. Because if you're going to ask us for help, we want to make sure we're really helping and not just um, doing what the government does oftentimes, which is just uh, perpetuating an enslavement to the financial resource of another. We want you stable and secure in your own financial life. And by and large, when this woman gets done doing a very brief but yet thorough examination of a person's finances, she finds out the truth. They're spending money on HBO subscriptions. I don't have an HBO subscription. Okay. I don't even have cable. They're, they, they're spending money on uh, car payments that are through the roof. Yep. They're spending money on furniture that Cheryl and I don't even buy. And it's like we, we see these things. We're like, this is the problem with people in our country, the debt problem in our country, the consumerism in our country. We are commercialized everywhere and in every way constantly bombarded with messages that we need this to be happy and it's almost coming to this point where we say i actually need this because i'm an american wrong wrong the constitution does not provide you a guaranteed four bedroom three bathroom house with a white picket fence and a two-car garage all right it provides you the opportunity to pursue those things should you want them 
It does not guarantee the government's responsibility to give them to you. And then, so we get this mentality of overspending. We get this mentality of, I got to have it. We buy into this consumerist, materialistic lie. Then we get into financial trouble. And then we come to this church and say, please bail me out. And the stupidest thing we could do is just bail you out. The stupidest thing we could it's do. enabling. We have this woman to sit down with you and say, okay, yep. here's what you're going to do. You're going to get a job. You're going to get this. You're going to stop paying this. You're going to cancel the subscription. You're going to cancel that cell phone for your six-year-old. You're going to, <laughs> I mean, this is what we see <laughs> again and again. And, and we have a responsibility to you as your church to tell you the truth, to tell you what the commercial will not tell you. And that is that there are financial principles that you should put into practice that will cause it to go well with you. And if, if we're on the, if we're talking about the same person, this woman also helps to facilitate our financial peace class. She does. And I mean, that class. So Lisa, going, it's Lisa. She yeah, was Lisa, with us on a podcast she was. Uh, back in October. If you look back and uh, she was here with Dan Rayberg. Dan Rayberg. And, yes. uh, I tell you, you guys got to take. You've got to absolutely contact us if you are in financial issues. We would love for her to sit down. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she will go and she will straighten things out real quick. Now, the problem that we've actually experienced too, Josh, is that people don't listen. So (laughs) she will tell them, look, you got to get a job. And they don't get a job. And it's like, you can't live the kind of life you want to live sometimes. Like, <laughs> this is so infuriating to me. America, America, please wake up. Please wake up. Because you can't live however you want. I know, I know you're being told this. I know that Beyonce sings about it. I know that all kinds of, you know, cultural shapers tell you that you can have the life of your dreams. Ah, Pastor, no, I, can't. I can't take that job. I'm waiting for a sign from the Lord before I take that job. I worked uh, as a bank teller. Uh, for many years before I got on full time as a job, uh, as a church, as a pastor, I uh, worked as a um, bar back. I worked as a uh, waiter, a bus boy. Uh, a, 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 um, I was picking up apple droppings at one point. I mean, you got to do whatever it takes to make it work, man. Come on. And you've got plenty of opportunity in this country and you got to start taking the opportunities as they come, not waiting for the dream that you're believing for. I've said this many times, even on the podcast, the dream that you have, and I believe in dreams. I absolutely believe in dream dream jobs, dream positions. Go for it. But it might be on the other side of a bunch of other assignments that God gives you along the way to test your faithfulness, to develop character, to develop skills that later in life are going to be necessary for where you're going. Yeah. Uh, not sure if I misunderstood in last week's message. It was stated that if a husband cheats, it's because he's being denied at home. So not to deny him. Is that true? And does it take all of the blame off of him and put it on his wife? Okay, well, this is an interesting question. Because my question to you is, are you one of those people denying your husband? <laughs> <laughs> I need a loophole past a loophole. <laughs> is this person denying their husband and is all flustered because I said that? And if you're not one of those people denying your husband and your husband uh, is cheating on you or has cheated on you, and you weren't denying him at the time, then what can I say? Your husband is a dirtbag. He <laughs> needs to repent, and he needs to repent, and he needs to stop it. But yes, I will stand by this. Many times, in many marriages, the husband does not get any sex, and he inevitably, with a very strong sex drive, it's just, it's just a fact. By and large, again, generalities, but by and large, men have a stronger, uh, more intense sex drive than women. And so he will go find it elsewhere. Wait, what do you want me to say? What do, you, what, do you want me to say, deny your husband all you want? Do you have the God-given right? No, I will not say that. You don't have the God-given right. I got a 
I got a passage in the Bible that tells me you don't have the God-given right to deny your husband sex. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And so if you don't give him sex and he goes and finds it elsewhere, you are part of the problem. Yes, you are part of the problem. Mm. Are women not supposed to wear makeup according to the Bible? And yes. I, and I intend- Stop it. Take it all off right now. <laughs> you should only be buying those facial cleanser washes at CVS, ladies. What's wrong with you? No. And uh, also, don't shave your armpits. Men, don't cut your hair. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this one is actually asked before the podcast. I had a chance to just open the text. I already knew what I was going to say, but I, ha- I want to read the text for you because this, like, this is the proof text for women not, we- women not being allowed to wear makeup. And my, my mother... God bless her, was raised in a Pentecostal, Italian Pentecostal church <laughs> where it was literally told, you shall, thou shalt not wear makeup. I mean, this, this is <laughs> proper biblical interpretation. My job is important because of questions like this right here. This is why you want a pastor who knows how to interpret the Bible. Okay, so let me read to you the passage. First Peter chapter 3, uh, talking to women, he says this, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Okay. He is not saying, thou shalt not braid your hair. Thou shalt not wear jewelry. Thou shalt not uh, um, wear nice clothing. Don't be stupid. <laughs> Lydia... <laughs> Okay, Lydia in Philippi is a dealer in purple. Uh, Purple was a very expensive luxury item, purple clothing. Very expensive luxury clothing item in the first century. Uh, She gets saved. Paul does not say, okay, sell your business. You want to be a real Christian? Sell your business. No, it doesn't happen. She she continues her business. Okay, by the way, women being business leaders all over the Bible. Okay, anyway. um, What he's saying here in 1 Peter is, don't let the most attractive, your adorning, the most attractive part of your body or part of your being, sorry, be the external. And this is a good Christian principle. Yes, look good and presentable on the outside, but don't let that be your adorning. Don't let that be what you use to win your husband, win your husband's heart because that fades. And we have another text uh, Proverbs 31, the second to last verse says, um, charm is deceptive and beauty fades, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Okay, so what he's saying there, he's giving guidelines for the church and the, and the women in the church to say, don't fall for this mantra that was existent in the first century and is still existent today, that a woman is only valuable if she's gorgeous and she's got certain dimensions to her body and she has a certain hair color or, or whatever. Don't don't fall for that much. That's worldliness. That is not what makes you attractive to your husband as a Christian woman. A Christian woman who is quiet and gentle with her husband is going to be far more attractive to her husband uh, than a woman with all the out external accoutrements and yet has this uh, heavy-handed disposition to her husband. It's just mm-hmm. a fact. And some of you ladies, you got to know this, that your husband goes to work or he goes out into the world and he struggles to make a living or he has a boss that demeans him and a boss that puts him down or berates him. And then he comes home and he's got you doing the same thing. Man, don't do that to him. He, he, needs, he needs to be lifted up and, and built up by you. And many times uh, women unknowingly and unintentionally uh, do 
to their husbands what their bosses might be doing to them in the world or their competitors in the business environment might be doing to them in the external world and vice versa for men and women. But we've got to be careful about how we treat one another. And that's so when Paul, Peter talks about the adorning there, he's talking about don't let that be like the first thing, the most important thing about your beauty. It is not. Mm. So wear makeup. Absolutely. As my father-in-law says, if the barn needs painting, paint the barn. <laughs> not the problem. <laughs> Bria's over there. She's gonna, Bria's about to throw a dart at me over here. <laughs> the problem with that illustration is it makes a woman a barn. But the fact of the matter is we all get older and things start to crack and wrinkle up and uh, sag. And so do things that stop that. <laughs> But don't let that be, don't let that be the very, you know, the most important thing about you. <laughs> Bri is making me laugh. <laughs> okay. All right. uh, how about tattoos? All right. So again, uh, a couple things about tattoos. There is a, I, I believe this is a very um, biblical principle of interpretation. By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall all things be established. Okay. So if scripture says something about something once, and I've said this on the podcast before. Uh, it's kind of up in the air. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not, it's not biblical doctrine necessarily. And so the, even, the, even the doctrine, by two or three witnesses shall all things be established, is a scripture. And is quoted by Jesus himself in other places throughout the text. There's one verse in the Bible about tattoos. And uh, even the, the form of tattoos in the ancient world is different than the form of tattoos today. Like right. it wasn't ink in the ancient world. It was, uh, I think actually they were scarring their bodies and that sort of thing. Uh, it was also a cultic practice for pagan nations around Israel in the ancient world. Uh, so everything about Leviticus, and you've got to know this about um, the Old Testament, is very important. God takes Israel out of Egypt. He makes them his special and chosen and holy people, and they are called to live distinct from all the nations around them. And that includes how they wore their clothing. That includes how they, um, how they uh, grew their crops. Uh, that's, it includes uh, everything. So a lot of those passages, like shellfish, anti-shellfish passages, anti-clothing from two different materials. Uh, by the way, that points to Christ, that he would be one pure being, not, not mixed or intermingled with different. A, that's for another discussion. Anyway, um, so all of these things that, that God relegates for his ancient people, Israel, uh, that was for their distinctiveness to be maintained, their purity apart from the nations to be maintained. Why was that important? Because it was through Israel that eventually Christ would come, and we would need to recognize that he would be the true son of Abraham through, which, through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God had to preserve his ancient Jewish people for all for that for those millennia so that Christ could come and save us through his sin, through his, yeah. through his death on the cross. You know, a friend once told me you don't put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari. I agree with that. That's my <laughs> personal <laughs> tattoo philosophy right there. Okay. <laughs> What, what what do you see that needs to be improved? I ask you, Facebook watchers. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Don't send me an email. Uh, that was very, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I don't have a biblical mandate to tell you that um, tattoos are sinful. Sometimes I don't think that they're helpful. Like some people tattoo themselves uh, of a girlfriend that they're dating, and then they break up with the girlfriend. I mean, that's that's just silly in my opinion. And then some people get face tattoos and then they can't get jobs. 
<laughs> like, don't blame the job guy. Don't blame the employer if he doesn't want you with, you know, the tattoo across your face. There was a guy that complained about the fact he had FU across his forehead. <laughs> Dude, F you across <laughs> his forehead, and he couldn't get a job, and he started complaining. Why would anybody hire me? Oh, gosh. You know, come on. Let's be smart about this. <clears throat> so, you know, if, you're, if your job doesn't want you to get tattoos, don't be foolish, you know. Don't get a tattoo. Right. That's and if you get one, who cares, whatever. I mean, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think it's a problem biblically. I don't think that is always smart. That's my point. <laughs> right. Uh, question for the Hot Topics. Do you have to be baptized? I accepted the Lord as a child over 25 years ago, and I take pride in my relationship with him. However, I have never been baptized, and I have severe anxiety about being baptized in front of so many people. Yes, you have to be baptized. Um, to be saved? No, not to be saved. But again, I, these questions about what do I have to do to be <laughs> saved? Okay, let's go back to the fact that you are saved by grace through faith, and the faith that you have to believe in that grace is a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. But, friends, to be saved means not just to have that get-out-of-hell-free card in your hand, like you're playing Monopoly, uh, and, and Jesus is the thing that keeps you out of jail. No, to be saved is to say, I surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who made me anyway. He knows what's best for me, and I want to do his will. Mm. Now, am I going to always get it right? Absolutely not. We all sin in many ways. We all struggle in many ways. James talks about that. First John talks about that. But I want to do what is right. This is Paul's talk, discussion in Romans chapter 7. I want to do what is right, but evil is right there with me. The good that I want to do, I do not do. The evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. There's that struggle. But when you intentionally say, I don't want to get baptized because this is how I see it. This is how I see my Christianity. Uh, and even the words, you just betrayed your own conscience there by your words. I take pride in my relationship with Jesus. Um, good for you because I don't. I mean, I don't know how you take pride in, my, in your relationship with Jesus. I take no pride in my relationship with Jesus. I have a horrible relationship with Jesus, and I'm a pastor. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm serious. I'm, um, and this needs to be said because I know I'm a wicked sinner every yeah. single day. Every single, just when I think I have one thing down, I screw up in another area. <laughs> if you don't wake up. <laughs> That's the Christian struggle, okay? Um, so I don't take any pride in my relationship with Jesus. The only thing that I take pride in is the fact that God saw fit to save me. Through, through no credit to myself. It, it, is, it remains in the realm of the mysterious knowledge of God that he looked down on me with favor and saved me from my sins because I don't deserve it. And I know I don't deserve it. I take no pride in it. I glory in what Christ has done for me. Yeah. That is the Christian mantra. So the anxiety issue about getting even, again, your own words in front of so many people, it's not about you. It's not about you. So you've got to understand that your baptism is a community event, and this is why we don't do private baptisms. It should be a community event for the body of Christ to see you get baptized, to see you say yes to him. We will applaud you. We will love the moment. You do not have to do the video. This is a very common misconception about yeah. our video. We do the video for several reasons, and every time people come to us and say, I don't want to do the video, and then we tell them the reasons why, they do, want, to do, why we want them to do the video, they always do the video, Yeah, by and large. But you don't have to do it. But you don't have to do it. We would just say you get into the waters. And by the way, what anxiety do you need? You're in complete darkness as you get into the waters. The light comes on you for three seconds as you say yes. <laughs> We're going to do the. All you have to say is say yes. Because if you don't do the video, you're going to get into the waters in darkness while you guys sing up there on stage. And then the lights will come on you for a brief moment. The person will say, do you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And all you have to say is yes. 
they will baptize you. You'll be under the water for most of the event. <laughs> you will come up out of the water, and people will be, yay! People will be clapping for you. How, that shouldn't cause you anxiety. It yeah. really shouldn't. To be celebrated should not cause you anxiety. You, you nailed it, man. It's not about you. And it's not yeah. about you. Right, exactly. So <clears throat> surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe he will, Maybe your lack of surrender is the reason why you're struggling so much with anxiety. Anxiety is the human will trying to do everything that it can possibly do. And it's almost in many respects, I think, a God complex. I think that is a God complex. Mm. I have to worry about this. I have to worry about that. I have to worry about this. I have to worry about that. And a lot of women, because you got the spaghetti brains, and this is a scientific fact too, you got the spaghetti brains that can connect everything to everything else. You can. You can have all these synapses bouncing off of each other all over the place in your brains. Us men, we can't do that. So by and large, a lot of times, it's women who struggle with anxiety. Surrender. Surrender your throne of your own personal universe to the Lord of the universe and let him worry. Like mm. Jesus said, do not worry. It's a command of scripture. Do not worry. What can you add to your life by worrying? Not even a single hour. And then look at the birds of the field and look at the flowers of the field. They don't worry. They don't toil. They don't spin. God feeds them. God clothes them. All that stuff. You've got to surrender. Do not be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and, and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God and the peace of God will be with you and will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Mm. Philippians 4.8. How do you forgive someone that will not acknowledge that they did anything wrong? I've tried reaching out to discuss and open up communications, but this person just ignores me. Then they try to be friendly at gatherings in front of other people, and I try to tell myself that I forgive this person, but my bitter feelings keep on popping up. I want to forgive like Jesus did, but I honestly don't know how. All right, yeah. Um, the word forgive means to send away. It, it means that you take that, and this is why the... Um, the scapegoat in Leviticus was sent away into the wilderness. There was a sign that their sins were being, you know, sent away from them. And uh, to forgive means I'm no longer going to hold you personally accountable for what you did to me. Uh, and if it, the question is, again, they don't accept it or they don't. Oh, they don't acknowledge that they did anything wrong. They don't acknowledge that they did anything, that they did anything wrong. Did and then they try wrong. to, like, fake it yeah. in public. That yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you're forgiving. You're forgiving them. Um, is not your assignment to change them. And this is hard to grasp sometimes, but by forgiving, you're not then, um, you know, you're not the one now saying I am, and by the, by definition, to forgive means I am no longer going to judge you or hold you accountable to what you did. So the fact that you have a problem with them being normal around you in other places is kind of betraying the idea that you might not yet have truly forgiven them. Like you're still holding it against them. And even if they don't acknowledge that they did something wrong, you don't need that. I know it's hard. It's going to be harder than if they did acknowledge. Everybody wants everybody to acknowledge. The you want that closure. Them. Yeah, everybody wants that. I mean, we all want that. Uh, gee, this is God saying, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Uh, he is the great scales balancer. Uh, even if in this life the scales are not balanced, friend, this is why we have the hope of heaven. And this is why the ne there is a necessity for eternal punishment. Because the scales have to be balanced by a righteous judge who knows not just what people did, but knows why they did it, the intents and the motivations of the heart. Only one being has the sovereign right to make those calls, and that is the God of the universe who created all things. So as a Christian, our job to forgive is to release and send away those hurts that other people have caused us, whether or not that person ever says, yes, I agree, I caused you hurt. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is in Colossians. Forgive as the Lord God forgave you. Have you personally 
acknowledged every single thing or thought that you have ever had or done against God? The answer is no. We have sinned in ways that we don't even know. We are sinning presently in ways that we don't even know. Our hope is not in our confession of sins, particularly or specifically. Our hope is in the forgiveness of sins eternally and and, and uh, completely in the blood of Jesus Christ. So forgive as God has forgiven you. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, what is the Christian view on AA? The Christian view on AA. Yeah, is uh, is <clears throat> it says as an alcoholic saved by Christ. There's the issue already. As an alcoholic saved by Christ, does that person still consider themselves alcoholic? Is it against Christian beliefs to follow a twelve step program for recovery? Well, Bill W. Uh, rooted his philosophy and his twelve step program in the Christian faith. Uh, the problem with AA today is that, and I've talked to many people, many members of AA, so uh, I have never been involved in AA, but I've heard from people, Christians that I trust and rely on uh, for their perspective, because I know their life and, and who they are, that AA has been in large part, especially in New England, has been hijacked by secularists. Mm. Uh, so, you know, Bill W. came up with the 12 steps. I mean, it's the first step is higher power. Acknowledge is a higher power, right? That's the first step, I think. I have no higher idea. Higher power, whatever. Or, or acknowledge that you are helpless, whatever. You read the steps. It's very clear. They're all Christian-based. It's been hijacked many, in many respects from by secularists. And so now it has become uh, infused with a lot of pop culture, pop psychology. Um, and uh, it is also... Uh, in attempts to vindicate ourselves, we then declare alcoholism to be a disease uh, rather than uh, a sin against a holy and just and righteous God. And it's like putting a Band-Aid on a gaping flesh wound. Uh, it can only hold back the blood so long. You've got to cleanse that wound, and you've got to do deep work, and you've got to bandage it up properly. And the only thing that can truly uh, solve the sin problem is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So not just this, this vague higher power, okay? Not just this vague idea that you need to, you are powerless against alcohol. No, you are powerless against sin. And we need someone who comes in and champions, takes the battle and becomes champion over sin. That great passage in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. He is not just, he is not just forgiven of our sins. He has freed us from our sins. That means that you, Christian, through Christ, have the power to overcome the sin temptations in your life. You have the power to walk away from it, and you are no longer identified by the mistakes of your past, but by the promise of your Savior. Uh, everywhere in the Bible, when it talks to us as Christians, it refers to us as saints. It refers to us as uh, called, chosen, children of God, believers, disciples, you know, any number of, there's not one ever reference to a Christian that is in any way pertaining to what that Christian did before they came into Christ. Your, yeah. di your identity is now new in Christ Jesus. So do not accept that idea that you are forever a alcoholic. You can accept the idea that that's a definite struggle for you as anybody could. Any Christian can say, this is what I, this is a weakness for me. So I, I have to realize this and I have to have some boundaries around that. As an alcoholic, the same goes for you. That's a weakness for you. It is not who you are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you want more on that, that was also discussed the week that Stephen Bennett came. 
Yes, but identity. I always say, like, if you want to do AA, I, that's okay. I, I don't think there's... There's also um, some churches in the area, we don't do it, but there's some churches in the area that do celebrate recovery. It's a Christian uh, rooted in the Beatitudes um, form of uh, recovery from addiction. And it's, I, I've heard raving reviews about it, but I, I even see and I've heard from that. Christians get addicted to a lot of things. They even get addicted to recovery. <laughs> they even get addicted to the process of getting away from addiction, uh, which is, again, betrays the reality of the human heart is desperately sick beyond cure, Jeremiah 17, 9. Uh, we, we, we've got to constantly root ourselves in who we are in Christ. That goes back to picking up the scriptures, reading it. Who are you? Amen. Yeah, uh, we got two more. I don't know if you okay, have time. Okay, we've got uh, 60 minutes in here. It's a long one. Uh, yeah. We'll take one more. This is the final question. Final question. It's, uh, all right. It's kind of in tandem. Uh, okay. What if you're no longer attracted to your partner? Same person asks, what if your non-believing partner files for divorce? Yeah. You, it, okay. So second one first. Let right. them go. Yeah. I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to hold on to that. And you are freed from that marriage if the unbelieving partner leaves, uh, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's not a responsibility for you as a Christian. As hard and as difficult and probably sad as that might be, you are released, even according to the scriptures, and I believe that you are freed to remarry in that situation. So, I got no problem with that. You know, that's um, there's no nothing else I can say. I I believe in the authority of scripture, and that's what I would say to that. Mm. Uh, if you're no longer attracted to your spouse, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> why? That's my first question. Why are you no longer attracted? Do they let themselves go? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I know that we like to sound like all spiritual around here, but. The fact of the matter is, sometimes Christians do this more often than non-Christians is, I got married, so now I can blow up to 300 pounds and never take care of myself ever again because they are bonded by eternity to be with me forever or they're going straight to hell. Therefore, I have the right to eat Doritos for three hours a night as I sit on the couch. And never put on makeup again. Pastor, why won't they have sex with me, Pastor? Uh, so the person is asking, I'm not attracted anymore to my spouse. So my advice to you is what we began with the person who says that the woman doesn't have, want to have sex with him anymore. Talk to them. <laughs> Tell them. Can you, um, can you fix yourself up a little bit? <laughs> uh, you've really let yourself go. You know, these are hard things. And I like, like even laughing about it, it sounds almost unheard of to do it. But I ask you, why not? Don't you want to If you're with this person marriage? for life, like, yeah, do something. Man. You now have the opportunity to speak to them in a house where you guys live, hopefully alone together and get alone together and have honest conversations about these things and tell them you be ugly. <laughs> do something with yourself <laughs> i don't know i don't think that's i don't think that's hard i that but that's my personality some people say oh i could never i could never do that to my spouse well i don't know what to say to you in that situation because that just seems to me like you want to have a problem and you don't want to do anything about it I, i'm not for that i see a problem i want to do something about it well, that's, that's my not, personality that's not a very hubris Huh? That sounded very hubris. I have a lot of hubris. I told that lady, I have a lot of hubris. Pray for me. <laughs> I don't. That's not prideful to me. I thought I don't think that's prideful. I ought to say, look, uh, you know, we should maybe join a gym together. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what? You brought up a good point because I think it should be a, a double effort if you if you're saying you're not attracted to your spouse. Like maybe your spouse isn't attracted to you anymore. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Go mm -hmm. to the gym and sign up together. There you go. There you go. <laughs>
Go have a go have a, a makeover day. <laughs> something brought you together in the first place, and I guarantee you, a lot of it was visual. So something happened. Yeah, I, I do think that emotionally, and especially for women, they can get emotionally unattracted to a man, and no matter how sexy he looks, they can definitely check out there. Uh, but the word was attracted, so I'm guessing it's probably physical. It's physical. I'm yeah. guessing, and I think that's from a male. <laughs> All right. All righty. Yes, sign up your spouse for the gym. That's my question. That's my. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a. I don't have anything else to say. Okay, we're getting a little bit slap happy, and uh, this has been a great, a great time together with you. Now, four one one about the podcast. This actually is the last podcast we're having for the season. We are taking a, a sabbatical, about an eight week sabbatical from the podcast. I'm going to miss it. I hope you are too. Me too. We will be back in mid September. And, there, and we will be back in a different location. Different location. This studio is yep. getting closed down. We are opening up a new studio downstairs in the basement of Waters Church, and we are excited about it. And hopefully we'll take this podcast and bring it to another level. But here's what I'm really excited about it. Uh, question and answer is going to become a permanent part of the podcast. So every podcast, we will have like the top three questions we want to answer from the weekend experience. And I think this is going to help our church so well and help me clarify some things that you may have been confused about from the weekend. And I don't want you to be confused. I want you to have answers. So every weekend, starting in September, after I preach, you will have, and it's going to be in the bulletins, the number, you'll be able to text us questions about the content of the weekend. And I would love to answer those questions in that segment of the podcast. Again, not every podcast is going to be all question and answers. That's just been for hot topics. But there will be a segment of every podcast for question and answers from the weekend. I'm excited. I hope you are too. Josh, you did a great job. Thanks for being on today. And I will see you in two months on the deep end.